Hello everybody, so today our special guest is Kelly Vero, um, who's considered a bit of a metaverse pioneer. Um, working and working as a developer for most of your life, currently work as a co-founder for several different initiatives, but in the NFT and the metaverse space, uh, really thinking about the future, what the metaverse is. So first off, thank you very much for joining the very first Web3 Waffles podcast. Um, oh, oh so hopefully God. this will be a good one. Uh, and so, this yeah, is welcome. so great. You had me at Web3 Waffles, Scott. Absolutely. So I'm just happy to be here. Thank you for having me on my free waffles. You are absolutely welcome. The pleasure is all ours. Um, so first question is, you know, how long have you been working in well, what we now call the metaverse? I, I like to think about the metaverse as being something that is part of your imagination. Yeah. So a lot of people say that it's a philosophy, right, and that it doesn't really exist. Well, it bloody well does. Yeah. That's the, the first thing. And I, the, I suppose the second thing is, is that from a philosophical perspective, I've probably been in the metaverse since the first time I ever clapped eyes on a decent environment inside a game and thought, yeah, I can do so much more than just, uh, you know, shoot things or collect stuff or mine the things. You know, it, it was a place that I really wanted to be and stay. And it was pretty formative in or it helped me to form and forge what my imagination was and could be inside this space, which then obviously later on helped me to become a game developer. But the reality of the metaverse is, is that for a lot of people, it's really just come on board in the last sort of two years or so. I worked about seven years ago on a metaverse called Avakin Life, which is now very, very like famous and yeah. incredible but prior to that Avakin Life lived in PlayStation Home so you know it's got at least 10 years of a history which I'm really proud to have been a part of so yeah about that about 10 years which makes you an absolute pioneer in this space given that the metaverse <laughs> has only had that term for a few years um mm -hmm. no I find it fascinating because I'm similar I've had an interest in the space way before the metaverse was even the thing yeah. one wanted Really, I guess there was two two different technologies was the internet back in the 90s. And I saw that as these interconnected worlds that you could kind of explore. And in my imagination, it was always far more than actually just text connecting pages together. And then there was the, the buzz around the virtual reality as well, which never quite made anything at the time. But there was always how those two different worlds were trying to come together, but never quite did. And it feels like we're finally at the point where they are starting to and it's starting to get mainstream adoption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever mainstream adoption means, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Mainstream are probably from a gamer perspective right now. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that. Go on. Sorry. What do you think mainstream adoption means? When oh well, yeah, that's that. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, yeah. you kind of want like mass adoption with yeah. things. I think for me, one of the key factors that I have when I think about whether a metaverse is popular or mainstream whether it's been adopted is what the daily active user numbers are. Yeah. And in the metaverse across the board right now, they're very, very low. Mm. In the games industry, if I go and play League of Legends or I go and play World of Warcraft, the DAOs are very, very high. So we've got to be able to find this sort of sweet spot between these two worlds. Um, so I think mainstream adoption will happen when more gamers find themselves in that kind of space um, and can play, you know, live in a metaverse. 
having just walked out of your real estate plot in insert your metaverse here you know so i think what we've got to do is we've got to try much harder to develop content inside that space in order for people to have that mainstream adoption i suppose yeah i agree do you you think it's going to be a case of people migrating from traditional gaming or different spaces into what we're now creating whichever metaverse it is we're creating or do you just think that games themselves will start to be metaverses or the two will blur so much that it's hard to tell the difference between them uh, they're definitely walled gardens at the moment because they're being controlled and owned by massive tech bros. Mm. And those guys are very pissy about letting go of their like, cash cow. So I suppose that is going to be pretty difficult to prize product out of their hands. But I think I don't really care about the tech bros. What I care about is the end users and the gamers. If those guys want it, it will happen without a doubt. So, yeah, is the answer. I do see it being part of the metaverse, big time. And how do you think the metaverse is going to change our futures? You are a prime example of this. You and the whole crew over at Hundo, you're making a change to our lives right now. And I think that that, that mainstream adoption that you talked about is a process. Yeah, I But I think that being able to put good tools like Hundo has in the hands of people so that Hundo can effectively provide a sort of information advice and guidance portal without sounding like mega boring into the future. You know, you folks really do represent a fairly pioneering gateway for people to be able to connect with the future. And so, yeah, I, I kind of, put you folks on that that pedestal because no one else is doing it it well i don't think you are well thank you thank you you just brought us on a very high pedestal that i hope we can kind of live it to now um, try and try if you can to come down off that pedestal you won't be able to no no yeah thank you though i think it's yeah we do see it as an interesting challenge you know it's how do we we know there's a very exciting opportunity and what I'm really interested in, as you say, it's not necessarily what the gaming bros and what their kind of traditional organisations think about what the metaverse becomes. I'm really interested to know if we give people the right education and we allow people from various different backgrounds, you know, what does a corner shop owner do with the metaverse? You know, what does somebody that works in the farm industry do with the metaverse? What do people from all these very different places start to do in these spaces that big corps won't necessarily think of? I've got like a really interesting opinion about this because a couple of years ago during the pandemic, I was involved in a hack for a digital fashion company and um, a digital fashion organization. And one of the things that they were trying to get people to adopt was the possibility that in the future, there shouldn't be sweatshops in places like Bangladesh or even Leicester, right? Yeah. And that there should be opportunities for people to upskill. And I truly believe that having decent portals and gateways like yours allows people to look at the opportunities that are available to them in their lives rather than just approaching their day to day from the perspective of, oh, I've got to go into the field and do some farming. Oh, I've got to spend 20 hours sat at a sewing machine. Well, for me, as a gamer, I can't think of anything better 
when I've had a hard day's work in the office. Yes, I actually do work. I'm one of the few people in Medverse that writes code and stuff. Um, I can't think of anything better than sitting down and gaming. And I lose myself in that space. Yeah. And I expect everybody who's either running a corner shop to working behind a sewing machine or working in a field is going to have that same kind of connection to the metaverse. And the fact that, you know, in my, in African life, I'm a hairdresser. Mate, nobody would ever have given me a job of, as a hairdresser. I mean, in case no one's seen me or you're watching this in black and white, I don't have the greatest hair on earth. So I, I don't really sort of, I'm not a good advocate of decent hairdos. <laughs> but even so, I know. <laughs> but in African life, I'm a hairdresser. You know, I come in, I cut people's hairs. And Scott, I earn a passive income for that. So I earn money for cutting people's hair. That's the future of work. The mundanity of what we do in our day to day is going to be completely replaced by how we get our kicks in the evenings. I absolutely love that. I love that that notion of being able to augment what you do, regardless of what you have to do in the real world. We all have real lives. We all have real jobs. They will continue. But I love the fact that there's there's something you can do in parallel, which is so different to what you may do typically. You may and it, the barrier of entry to it should be so much lower as well, and should be accessible to anybody. You know, I, I mean I, it. Yeah. I agree. It, it was from like Microsoft's uh, flight simulator, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and there were people who were sort of going around saying, I'm just going to go and take my pilot's license now because I've done my 300 hours on Microsoft flight simulator. I should be a pilot now. And of course, they were failing dismally because there is like a an important step <laughs> of safety before you go from Microsoft flight simulator. But I mean, over, the, over a period of time, that's going to lessen it's going to get smaller that gap into future skills is going to get smaller yeah absolutely absolutely i think i think flight simulators are a great example you know the microsoft simulator is a fantastic but it's still it's still a game fundamentally but the military use flight simulators and have been doing for many many years you know if you're yeah. training to be on a 747 you get very expensive simulators that are effectively real and granted you, you the environment you're in is, is set up to be as realistic as possible but the, the barrier of entry to creating that in virtual, of creating experiences that you can put a headset on, are dropping all the time. Yes, headsets are still reasonably expensive, but they're still they're far more accessible. And so I can see a time very, very soon where even something as complicated as flying a plane, it will become so indistinguishable in the in the, the metaphor world as such that you can learn and then you can hopefully there's a few security checks first but you can still take your you can still take your safety check before you get on a plane um and I'd, yeah i'd love to see how that starts to be applied to other industries as well you know i've seen surgeons doing similar and i really really hope that they have a a, a second check before they let anybody do surgery i've had a look at some of those uh, surgeon simulators i think they're absolutely brilliant actually they are both they're, they're serious games right so they're gamified yeah. experiences for the most part but what they allow people to do is get much closer in a way that they wouldn't before. I, I've, I could tell you like stories for days of like weird stuff that has happened to me over the last couple of years with helping to build the metaverse from creating digital twins. So, you know, passing objects through an MRI scanner in a morgue oh, really? is, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, at night time. <laughs> it was a bit thriller, <laughs> but, um, Kids, that's an album by Michael Jackson from the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> he turned into a zombie in the music video. But um, yeah, so 
yeah, doing something like that. And then hearing people's stories about how they did virtual surgeon simulation mm. and did virtual surgery is fascinating because it's not too dissimilar. They're working effectively on MRI blobs um, and they're working in a space that is like very much has had live bodies in it. Yeah. Um, and now we're using that technology like in and out of bodies to sort of analyze and look at everything from cancerous tissues to the types of equipment that's being used. So technology is everything. If we don't have a generation that, that is au fait with technology now, then we've got some real problems in the future. Oh yeah, I talk, absolutely totally agree, totally agree. And especially with the mission we're on at Honda is to make sure that people absolutely do have that technology. So when you're speaking to younger people, you know, if somebody's mm-hmm. asking you about how to break into, again, this wide, very wide space to be called the Metaverse, you know, what kind of advice do you give people? Um, that The first thing that they should do is come at the Metaverse from the perspective of going in there and finding their tribe, finding their people, finding yeah. out what it is that they want to do accessing that content that they really need to access that's the first thing the second thing is and you would be surprised there's a lot of young people that haven't played games play some games and then look for similarities between those games inside those worlds you know whether it is that you have to access gamified content inside a space like decentraland or african life then go and do that And then third of all, look for similarities in your own life and that will help you to find people and social experiences. So if you like going clubbing, going onto the club yacht in uh, African life or, you know, go into the sandbox and party round at Snoop Dogg's house or whatever it is that people do over there. But go and find those social experiences that are most like the experiences that you have in your day to day. And from an education perspective, I I think the only education that any young person can do in a Web3 future is experience. So being in that moment is so vitally important. There isn't a single book. Forget about Snow Crash and all that crap. I'm like absolutely sick to death of listening to people and say, well, you know, the metaverse is like, it's not anything like what Neil Stevenson wrote about. So forget about it. Just go in it. Yeah. <laughs> Go in it, have a play with it. It isn't Ready Player One. <laughs> it isn't Ready Player One. Like, what are you expecting? Please, people, stop writing about that crap. Or if you do, fine. That's a great novel. Um, but it's very different from what, what's actually being built on the ground. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> a bit more lawnmower man, maybe, if we go back a few more years. Yeah, I think so. This is more like Web3 rants than Web3 waffles. <laughs> well, they're <laughs> we are similar sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Web three rants could be that could be the follow on session that could be the one we do afterwards. Um, Sign me up. <laughs> um, are there any exciting projects that you can tell us about? Anything you're working on, or even anything you see that you just love? You know, you're just loving the look of that you you think our listeners would enjoy to hear about. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm doing like quite a lot of really cool stuff at the moment. Yeah. I'm fiddling around with environments right now to try and create environments that are um, workable, not just in virtual reality. So a lot of cool projects are really cool, but they're really cool if you're coming at it as an early adopter or someone who's already immersed in the metaverse. Yeah. 
but for people who are just starting out, you know, places like Spatial are a really good space to play and create and develop. Obviously, Hundo will be the same when it um, eventually goes live because it will give people an opportunity to have a bit of a, um, you know, play pit um, instead of a sandbox. And, uh, and I think so that's good. I guess one of the beefs that I've got, Scott, at the moment is a lot of these projects that are really whizzy and cool require you to either have some kind of VR headset or require you to be some kind of developer level nerd yeah. when that's not cool for the end user. And also a lot of these tech companies have got a lot to answer for when they're hiking their VR headsets up by $100 here and there. You know, when I was young and when you were young, I'm sure, we didn't have enough money to do anything apart from get a 10p mix from the end of the street. So yeah. what hope do young people have to be able to get onto the tech ladder if we keep overpricing, you know, uh, peripherals and sort of secondary and tertiary equipment? That's yeah. not okay. No, it's not okay. <laughs> I mean, and it, it is still the same now. You know, as you say, we had our 10p of sweet mix and hope that Santa Claus would bring us an Amiga. You know, that was kind of my experience when I was younger. Um, but now, you know, when we, it's, it's the same for people. You know, they're... they're doing their best to get by. They probably have a, a mobile phone, might not necessarily be the latest mobile phone. They may or may not have a laptop. Headsets are still luxury, even, even the cheaper ones, even if it's, you know, 399, 499. That's still quite an expensive purchase. And it's if it's not something that you necessarily need. And it's like, um, so I think there's a lot to be done on the hardware side just to lower the barrier of entry. To Absolutely. I mean, how do you expect people to do that if they can't, if the future is truly mobile, why the hell do you need a VR headset anyway? I just don't know. Um, so I don't really care about that too much. It's too ready playing one for me. Um, but I do think that, you know, to answer the question about what's cool in the metaverse right now is the future of work. Yeah. I'm working on a couple of really good projects where I'm transposing real life into the metaverse to allow people to do their jobs whether that's doing jobs from the perspective of, you know, safety or system processing or whatever. But actually, I'm doing something as simple as building a vineyard for a company yeah. at the moment to enable people to understand the importance of growing grapes, um, agriculture, um, and agritourism, actually, from the comfort of your own living room is quite important as well because the more that we jump on planes to go over to cool places like Sicily or California or you know somewhere the more that we're making an impact on our carbon footprint and then that actually negates all of the cool shit that we're trying to do in protecting the earth yeah absolutely absolutely and if you could do it from your own sitting room you can do it from your phone and you can get an immersive experience that actually tells you what it's like it can be as good as going on a plane absolutely yeah and i'm lazy <laughs> so we've all been to those tourist sites and we but you know with high expectations and then we've got there you know some fantastic site in egypt and then you get absolutely harassed by sellers and it's not quite it's for tourists and it's not quite what you expected um it's not so like the postcard is it so no, yeah no. so if you can get that guided tour actually in the you know the comfort of your own home or wherever you want then i think that's that's hugely benefit hugely beneficial and then you can pick and choose the places that you actually go to afterwards yeah, I love that idea. So um, what's next for you then in terms of your next big project? Um, I suppose that one is like quite a big one. Yeah. Um, I'm doing uh, some nice sort of, I'm doing a lot of NFT work at the moment. So 
you know, I can NFT pretty much anything provided that it has utility. Yeah. I will not touch the JPEG generation of like a meme that happens like a million years ago, like Trollface, yeah. and doesn't mean anything outside of that. I'm looking for meaning in what it is that I'm doing. So I'm doing a couple of really high profile artwork NFTs at the moment, yeah. Casso and Salvador Dali, Andy Warhol, oh, cool. and a few others. Yeah. I want to be able to bring classical artworks to younger audiences. And I think it's really important that we don't just focus on metallic headed dogs yeah. and weird like sucky avatars and that we do start to talk about have like social commentary in looking at classical artworks in order to help us to understand who we are and where we came from. That's impossible when you're mm. struggling through pandemics or yeah. you're struggling through education so the next best thing surely is just to get an NFT which opens an entire world of opportunity for you that teaches you and educates you. So yeah, that's one of the projects I'm heavily invested in at the moment. So I love that. I love the idea of owning a piece of artwork like that that's from history, um, but then it opens up education content for you as well. And it, yeah. it, it's utility going above and beyond that. Um, you know, either on those videos or if you're in spa certain spaces, you can do things with it. I think there's... I'm really fascinated by the opportunities around that. I'm the same as you, beyond just a JPEG. You know, what can you do with it? What what can you do with it? It's contextual. What can it open up for you? Can it be? A remember that, yeah. Remember that a lot of people as well that are like rich art owners have got to keep those pieces of artwork inside very like expensive vaults yeah. or bonded warehouses. When do those things ever get to see the light of day? Never. Yeah. So, and why do young people want to go to museums? They don't. So why don't you just bring the museums to them or bring the artwork to them and do the education like in situ? Absolutely. Get to see some like cool stuff that we haven't seen for like 700 years, you know? Well, absolutely. And then you can see it in a space, you can see it in a space you can walk around. But then the other opportunities, of course, are actually going into the, you know, the painting itself. You know, where was it painted? Is it of a scene? Well, actually, here's the real scene. Here's where it is on a map. Here's, here's a bit of context to the painter and their life at that point And who else was around? Here's the political situation. You can start to grow. Yeah. Right? You can start to grow branches off that. Nailed it. Yeah. Come and work for me, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the, the condo crew would think about that. <laughs> Zip it. <laughs> Poach mid podcast. That's it. <laughs> that's the first. But you're right. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's like one call. And I'm working on a digital fashion project, ongoing, really enjoying it. It's super awesome. I'm doing it with. Uh, a lot of really high profile designers that want to be able to bring affordable brands to younger audiences. So think about having a, a Balenciaga that you pay for with, you know, whatever virtual currency you have inside your game, yeah. rather than just seeing Balenciaga and assuming that just because some pop star or some influencer is wearing it, therefore you've got to pest your mum's eyes out to the end of time to get that, that sweatshirt or those period sweatpants or whatever. I'm trying to do away with that by making digital designer fashion more affordable. Which is very in line with what we're doing. You know, a lot yeah. of what we're doing on the platform is thinking about 
you know, giving, we give tokens as rewards, but the tokens as rewards on our platform are, you know, the pure utility for accessing content. Um, but then we're thinking about well, what does that, what does it start to look like when you start to connect with brands? Because ultimately people, as we mentioned before, you know, people don't have a huge amount of money and just want a decent pair of trainers or they just want to have yeah. access to these brands that they don't typically have access to. So if we can connect the dots between, you know, the learning experience, but also plus it connects you to these brands and it starts to open up these opportunities for, you know, these digital goods or even these real world goods um, that you that you can get, you wouldn't normally get access to. You know, the, the opportunities again are, are endless there in terms of what you can do with those kind of relationships. And then later on this year, I've got a wallet coming out that's aimed at young people, um, again, mums and, you know, females predominantly because they're sort of pretty big buyers in our demographic but none of this elitist corporate bro nonsense i can't use crypto idiocy i'm not into it um we've partnered with like a really massive uh supermarket brand in the uk and a clothing brand um to sort of help kick people off with adopting the digital currency faster and that is something that is super exciting. Teaching people about the value of money, I think, mm. is just so important. It's something that we didn't have when we were kids. And, you know, now that we're imparting that knowledge onto our own kids, they're picking it up really, really quickly. Um, and, you know, we can make that even better by giving them a wallet that isn't a minefield of information before you get to... You know, you're just taking things off the shelf because it's got a fox's head on it, not necessarily because it does what it says on the tin. So yeah. I want to be able to give people an easier sort of transition between fiat currency and virtual currencies, whether in game or IRL. I mean, I think that's a huge move because I think the, the, the current steps you have to go through to interact with crypto full stop are incredibly difficult and i know there are people out there trying to make it easier but it's still the number of steps you have to go through it's like opening a bank account every time you log into a website and it's it, it it can be very very painful and i think that's a huge barrier for adoption going back to the adoption question uh real people in the real world just want to buy something you know they just want access to whatever it is we're selling they don't want to spend ages learning how all these systems work they just want it to work yeah they don't care about anything else apart from getting that thing how do I yeah. get that thing that I want to either purchase or consume? Um, and I think it's really, really difficult um, for people. And it's going to get more difficult because there is this, like, as I said earlier, this level of elitism. Mm. I think we've really got to break those barriers down. And as you said earlier, lower that barrier to entry for people. However we can, we just have to do it, whether it's for education or money or however, yeah. we've just got to do it. Otherwise, it's just going to always be like a crypto and tech grows playground. And that's not what the metaverse is for me. No, I totally agree there. It can't possibly sustain itself if it's just for the crypto bros. There just aren't enough Absolutely. of them, unfortunately. And so it will, it will eventually just fizzle out. Um, yeah. So we're spot on three. Um, so I know we're... Oh my God. So I'll, I'll, I'll cut it off there, but that was Thank you for easing me through my very first uh, podcast.